So first of all, recapping Steve's um, talk from last week, um, a few sound bites that Steve helpfully gave. I like your rhetoric, by the way, Steve, um, where you told the story again. That's very helpful. Um, so he said, pampered girl to strong woman. I like that one. Queen in name to queen in truth. She puts her line on life on the line. So she foreshadows Christ in that regard. Concubine to queen. We, we saw that. She puts her comforts aside. And I like your phrase, Steve, the battle is on. The battle is on. Um, and it is battle, isn't it? Uh, between good and evil, between God's kingdom and the kingdom of Satan. Um, and even though God's not explicitly mentioned in the text, um, he's behind all these things. And uh, we, we do see uh, Satan at work as well, really. Um, and the master player is at work. The master player being uh, Esther, Queen Esther. So that was last week, some of Steve's sound bites. So my talk uh, tonight is the star and the self-absorbed narcissist. The star and the self-absorbed narcissist. Episode five, chapter five of Esther. Um, mm -hmm. And there you can see uh, the beautiful Polkotrudinous uh, Queen Esther. And below... Uh -huh the self-absorbed narcissist, Haman. So it's a chapter of two parts, really, as we just read. So first of all, the star player. I say the star player because Esther in the Persian language means star, and she is the star, um, verses one to seven. So who's control, who's in control? Sorry, that's bad English, my... A typo there who is control of Westminster the Kremlin the Pentagon China it's a good question to ask isn't it um, who's in charge of the of the world the world's affairs remember this is um, this text is from uh, when uh, the Persian Empire was the only um, big empire around um, and uh, for us we we sort of ask answer that ask that question, don't we? Who's in charge of our of our nation? Who's in charge of the world? And the camera here is is still in the citadel in Susa. Um, the pace has slowed down. Um, there've been many years that have rolled on and on, and uh, now um, we're sort of honing in to what's happening in the most important um, place in the empire um, in Susa. Uh, where the king lives, uh, where the queen lives, and where the, the top officials live. And we have another climax in the narrative, another cliffhanger. What is going to happen to God's instrument, God's deliverer, Esther, the star? It seems like a 50-50, doesn't it? Is she going to live or is she going to die? And if she dies, the people die. So Esther has fasted uh, as well as the people um, dispersed in the empire um, and perhaps prayed. It doesn't say that actually Esther prayed, but normally fasting and prayer go together. Um, so we can 
presume that there was prayer as well um, as, as God's people were in imminent danger of, of, self, of, of annihilation. Um, uh, will God answer and save his people from annihilation? This is a, this is a massive moment. Um, the tension is immense. Um, can you imagine living in that um, scenario um, as a, a Jew, um, knowing that uh, you might not live, uh, um, you might, all, all your people um, might be wiped out. Um, so all the people's hopes of, 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 uh, of being saved are in this vital meeting of Esther um, seeing the, the king. Um, what's going to happen? Is she going to be received and is there going to be mercy? And remember that she hasn't been called in to the king for 30 days. So from her point of view, perhaps uh, the king has taken umbrage with her disfavour. Um, so in some ways, perhaps it doesn't look good for the queen, um, Queen Esther, uh, God's deliverer. What's going to happen? And in verse one, we see she puts on her royal robes, um, not a seductive dress um, that perhaps um, one would wear for the king. Um, how will this capricious tyrant react to God's deliverer? Whew. Yes, he sees her and he's pleased with her. He finds she finds favor um, in verse two. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the golden scepter. Woo! Everyone's relieved. You can imagine the partying if uh, uh, we're going to be a lot of partying tonight if England win. Um, can you imagine the, the Jews partying? Um, they, they've realized. Yeah, bit of a jig. Thanks, Phil. Um, They've been saved. Um, Esther, Esther's done it. Um, actually, God's done it. Um, and uh, Esther must have been mightily relieved. Her life is spared and the scepter is offered. And sure enough, as Steve would say in his rhetoric, she sure is going to touch that scepter. Clemency has been offered and she accepts. Amen. And isn't this like God's favour to us? Um, he reaches out to us like that scepter. The king offers his grace and mercy. And we, we don't deserve it, but we are touched by this, his scepter of love. And we aren't punished, brothers and sisters. It's very similar. We're in a similar position that we've been let off, as it were. Amen. And in verse three, you see um, that the king calls her Queen Esther for the first time. What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? She is his royal consort. And ironically, now she is calling the shots. Do you see that? Um, delicious irony. A Jew is dictating what's happening in the palace. Um, she's in charge, actually. 
not this King Xerxes, uh, nor Haman. What is your request? Even half the kingdom, it will be given to you. Actually, God is really in charge behind all these things in his providence. He's moving the hearts and strings of the king and Haman and the people. Um, the star player. And this the, this this um, refrain in verse six, even half the kingdom will be given to you. It's there in verse six is mentioned twice. You notice that um, uh, also, I think in verse eight as well. Um, can't see it now. Or yeah, in verse six, there's another anyway, twice it's, it's said. Um, it apparently this is not literal. Um, but the king is saying, hey, Esther, I'm in a good mood. Um, he would never give half the kingdom to, to Esther. I mean, she wouldn't ask for half the kingdom, would she, to be honest? Um, so I guess it's a bit like when we say, yeah, I'll do anything for you. Yeah, go on. You say it and I'll do it. Not a problem. Um, yeah, it's not literal. And interestingly, in Mark's gospel, um, when Herod speaks to, I think it's Salome, um, when, um, what's, her, what's her name? It's Herodias's daughter, I think, is dances for Herod. Um, um, he says the same because he's delighted with um, this lady. And he says, ask of me and I'll do anything you want. He doesn't actually mean it. He's so pleased with her. He's in a great mood. So in verse four, um, we see that she invites the king to a banquet she has prepared for him. So she's already made plans for this. Um, so most probably she was confident that God would intervene um, and act. And my question is, why does she invite Haman, the Jew hater um, of all people? Um, it seems that she has a plan um why why she's invited uh, uh Haman to to this banquet and we see more wine um in verse 6 and uh the king asks come on Esther what do you want i'll give it to you and interestingly she says no 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 wait i won't tell you now come back tomorrow and uh i'll i'll tell you why does she wait? Um, another interesting question. Um, it seems like she's a shrewd lady um, toying with the emperor, emperor of the known world. Um, she's calling the shots. And I think for us, um, we need to be shrewd as believers. Um, in Ecclesiastes, it says there's a time to speak and a time to refrain from speaking. Um, so we need wisdom daily, don't we? Um, some of us are better than others. Um, some of us tend to put our foot in it sometimes. Um, I've learned not to blurt out what I think once sometimes. Um, and I'm learning. And it seems as though she's she's waiting for the best time. Um, and it's not easy. 
Um, I think it's been nine years she's perhaps waited for this moment. Um, and uh, for us, sometimes we need to earn the respect, don't we, to be able to witness. Um, Rachel was talking about a friend, Mira, through the school connection. And uh, she's had to sort of earn the right to, to witness to Mira. Um, and she has witnessed, but she, she, she had to, to build up that friendship for years. And then she had the opportunity that she earned that respect. So it seems like similar to this situation. Um, do you notice there was a lot of pleasing in this chapter? Uh, Esther pleases the king um, a lot. It rings a bell. Um, this is my son of whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Mark chapter one, when Jesus is baptized, um, God the Father says to the son, I'm well pleased with you. Um, and in Luke 2, 52, uh, remember when Jesus is preaching in the temple uh, as a young boy, um, it says Jesus grew in favor with God and man. Interestingly, with with men as well. Um, and I think that's true. We, we, we can grow in favor with man. Um, some people do reject us and think we're crazy um, and sneer at us. But there are people that um, see our lives and and grow in favor with us um, and see, see the difference uh, that Christ makes. And we have the chance to witness um, a bit like Esther. So let's move on in the text, verses 9 to 14. The self-absorbed narcissist, uh, Haman. So he enters the stage. He's in a jovial mood in verse 9, happy and high spirits. After these banquets, we have the king and the queen. Um, his ego has enlarged even more, as we'll see. But Mordecai is a thorn in his self-centered side. What's going to be done with this Mordecai, this Jew who um, doesn't respect me? He doesn't kowtow to Haman in his presence and neither trembles in verse nine. Neither rose or showed fear in his presence. And this enrages Haman. Um, but he manages somehow to restrain himself. The Lord is obviously behind this. And then he boasts about himself to his wife. This is Haman and friends about his wealth, his sons, his family and his status above others. Did you see that in verse 11? how the king had elevated, honoured him and elevated him above the other nobles and officials. He really thinks he's the bee's knees, doesn't he, um, Haman? I think this is deluded self-grandeur. Um, often people, I think, in this position that have so much um, think they're just amazing. The world revolves around them. Um, I was... Uh, reading a quote in my magazine from Sarah Vine. Um, sadly, uh, Sarah Vine, she was the, um, or perhaps still is the wife of Michael Gove. Um, they're getting divorced, sadly. Um, 
but this is what she says um, about, uh, yeah, about Mark, Michael Gove. Um, the problem with the wife who has known you since way before you were king of the world is that she sees through your facade. She knows that deep down inside you are not the master of the universe that you purport to be. Well, that's quite interesting. Um, I guess politicians and, and influential people think they are the bee's knees, but actually they're not. And it's interesting, isn't it? The, it's laughable, really, in verse 12. I'm the only person Esther invited. Wow, I'm so special. Well, Haman, mate. I don't think that's what Esther thought. Um, you see that in verse 12. She probably didn't really want him there. Um, perhaps it was her plan to inflate his already massive ego. So we can laugh at verse 12, guys. And as we'll see later, uh, next chapter, next week, his ego is going to be deflated big time. But he can't stand Mordecai. Uh, what's to be done with him? Verse 13. Well, impale him on an ostentatious pole, 23 metres high. Can you imagine that? I think that's the size of a house, um, perhaps even taller. Uh, I'm not very good at my calculations. Um, and the pole is as big as Haman's self-importance, isn't it? Uh, it's just ridiculous uh, how big this is, how tall it is. Surely the king will say yes to you, Haman. Then all will be well. You'll feel much better for the evening soiree. Oh no, Esther's plan might be in jeopardy if Mordecai is killed before the second feast. So concluding thoughts. Imagine if the king hadn't offered clemency to Esther. The Jewish people would have been exterminated. Abraham's seed would have perished. No Messiah, no hope for humanity, no church. No Christians, how sad it would have been. Um, but that didn't happen. And we can praise God tonight for his master plan through Esther and through Christ. Um, we have a banquet to celebrate, to go to, um, that we're looking forward to. Um, another thought is egos overflattered entitlements. Um, it is easy to laugh at Haman, um, at his massive ego, but I think if we're honest, we, are, we can just be the same and we can have big egos, no matter who we are, where we are. Um, we have to be careful, I think, um, of, uh, of that and uh, we need humility. I think uh, the boldness of Esther comes through here. Um, she's a great role model. Um, she counted the cost. We saw that last week um, and this week. She put her neck out for 
for the, her people. And let's put our necks out for Christ. Um, we can pray for the courage of Esther, uh, willing to sacrifice her life for the people. Um, she's a great role model. And the bigger Esther is Christ, isn't it? Um, he knew he wouldn't be spared. Esther was spared. He wasn't. He was sacrificed for his people, for us. We can praise him tonight. He is the real star of the show. Um, for our Father, forgive them, for they don't, do not know what they are doing. What compassion, what mercy he had, even for those that, that hated him. And we know who's really in charge of Westminster, don't we, brothers and sisters? Who's in charge of the world? It's not fate. Apparently, in this empire, um, fate was the, uh, the belief, Kesara, Sarai, whatever it will be, luck. But no, that's not true. God is pulling the heartstrings of humanity. He's dictating things. And we can be comforted with that. Amen. So hopefully that's encouraging for you this evening. Um, and my question is, what are your thoughts? Um, so I open the floor up and it'll be good to hear from your, your views and it'll be good to turn those into prayer. I have um, a thought about Haman. Um, he, in some ways, I, I think he's sort of put up as a pantomime figure. He seems comical, but perhaps we should, I mean, as you've been describing him this, this evening, he's a horrible person. And I, I've just been thinking that his, um, his significance in... Um, in history, I mean, pardon the illusion, but, but should we think of him as being like Hitler, actually, you know, a, a terrible, terrible figure, capable of doing terrible, terrible things. And um, but that's, that's the character who, who we've got described here, with some sort of analysis of his, the way he thinks, the way he acts. And of course, if he was as sinister as that, it makes Esther's invitation to him all the more courageous really doesn't it she's sort of really playing with fire in in um, inviting him but i don't know what other people think about that yeah it's very helpful phil i think i think you're right there um in in Heyman's description he is that but also uh, when um his wife and the other people suggested this grotesque pole to be put up to get rid of uh, Mordecai, he, he, he was weak enough and miserable enough to do it, you know. So he was being fed as well as his own ideas. He was being fed mm. all these horrendous things and he was taking it on as some sort of glory. That he Seems was quite pliable. To. Yeah, he, Very pliable. Yeah, it was going to be a glorious thing, you know. Oh, God. So they were flattering his um, flattering his ego. Ego. Yeah. 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 That, that's another part of the narrative, isn't it? That he just gets inflated by by all this, and indeed, it's part of the narrative that his family are involved in his his plotting because they. Mm. 
come a cropper later in the story as well. So we need to. Yeah. But um, the difference is, of course, the way Esther to use since it's a football analogy, the way Esther keeps her eyes on the ball, doesn't she? I mean, she <laughs> didn't actually have known what was going to happen that night. Yeah, for some reason, she knew that it wasn't the right moment. She could easily have been swayed by when Xerxes said, oh, I'll give you half my kingdom. She could have um, mm. said, oh, wait, what should I ask for? But what uh, swayed, she keeps, she keeps her eye on the ball, on the, on the prize. What she's there, she knows what she's about. And um, so, yet yeah, wait, as you say, tells him to wait. And then, Got into business with this with this sleepless night that Xerxes has. Something else that's interesting to me is that Haman, um, no, not Haman. Who am I talking about? Yeah, Haman. He he was totally unaware, completely unaware of how evil and horrible he was. There was no remorse in him. There was no, it was just ego, 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 ego. There was nothing. You know, we all have some good and bad in us, don't we? But he seemed to have no, no good. Yeah, and it's hard to believe, isn't it? Um, how inflated his ego was. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, he might have had a disorder, mightn't he? Uh, sort of. Yeah. Ah, uh, but is that letting him off? Are we letting him off by saying that? True. Yeah, that might be the case. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's. I'm. I'm just thinking about our <coughs> our politicians, thinking about Matt yeah. Hancock, and how he felt that he could get away with something that he, he knew he was telling other people that they shouldn't do. So he must have had some sort of thing going on in his head to say, I'm so special, uh, it's okay for me. And I wonder whether this is something that power does. I mean, clearly Haman is filled with power, filled with a sense of power, sense mm -hmm. of his importance, and just how deceptive that is. Um, mm -hmm. I, I suppose, flip it around, how important it is.